0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Thanks, Cameron. Such a good report. Good morning, New Day Community Church. It's so good to be with you guys here again. Amber and I, I don't remember the last time we were here. It's been a while, so it's super good to, to be here with, with you guys. Amber and I, as many of you know, uh, serve most of our time at the Vandalia location, and uh, we love it. We love it down there. There's good things happening, uh, but grateful to, to not drive through the snow down there today. Um, so we just bless Kathy. As she, I'm sure she's fine. Um, and uh, so we are continuing our series called Thrive. Five Ways to Flourish. And a couple weeks ago in, in Vandalia, uh, I, I talked about how all of life throughout the universe is always and is, uh, is only, it always comes from, it only comes from God's self-existent life, right? We are all, all of creation is dependent on the independent one, right? And so if we want to thrive, If we want to step into that full, abundant life, we must be connected to Jesus. We need to be connected to the source of life. But one of the the most common issues that people come to talk to me uh, about is the lack of feeling connected to Jesus. Feel dry. I feel uh, I've lost my passion. Right? I feel disconnected. And there can be a bunch of, of reasons for that. Jesus uh, addresses a, a number of things um, in his parable of the sower. Right? We can be distracted by the worries of this world. We can be distracted by doubts or persecution. There's a lot of things that would keep our roots from growing deep. And connecting ourselves to Jesus, but too often and especially in the charismatic church, we can put this emphasis on an emotional experience right we we lift up or we we celebrate those who connect in very emotional ways and that's fine, but we feel like if, if i don't feel that intensity of emotion I don't feel that experience I remember one time I was uh working at at the church I was just doing something and this wonderful person came in and they were like Mark do you feel that and I'm like no but I believe you (laughs) I go right more Lord I don't know whatever it is I want it right and so sometimes we don't feel it and that's okay Albert Barnes who is an American theologian from the 1800s, said this, Not a little of the ardor of young converts is often nothing more than the excitement of animal feeling, which will soon die away, of course, though their real love may not be diminished or may be constantly growing stronger. When a son returns home after a long absence and meets his parents and brothers and sisters, there is a glow, a warmth of feeling, a joyousness of emotion which cannot be expected to continue always, and which he may never be able to recall again, though he may be ever growing in real attachment to his friends and to his home. I think this is incredibly important. Our, our first love does not need to be, and it cannot be expected to be an eternal or a, a never-ending excitement of animal feeling. Years ago, I was working at uh, Fox Brothers, and there's one of my co-workers, his name was was Steve, and while we were uh, working, he, he got married and went on his honeymoon, he came back from his honeymoon. It was great. He was so happy. Uh, the, the lady he married was wonderful. Just great people. And he came to work the first day and was like, oh, she she made me breakfast before I came to work, and she packed my lunch. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, Steve. I'm like, okay. And then that happened for a week. We're like, wow, that's it's crazy. And he's like, I love being married. I'm like, I bet you do. That sounds good. <laughs> uh, and uh, but but after a couple weeks, she stopped. Making him breakfast. Like he actually lived about 45 minutes away from Fox Brothers. We had to be there at like seven o'clock. So that's a pretty early rise and shine time, right? To, to make breakfast for your husband. Uh, and so eventually she stopped making breakfast. And then eventually she stopped packing his lunch. And we're like, oh no, the marriage is over. <laughs> right? So Steve eventually had to make his own breakfast, make his, pack his own lunch. But they're, actually their love hadn't diminished. At all. I know them, their love deepened and strengthened. And so if passion for Jesus is not the excitement of animal feeling, we want to answer these two questions today. If it's it's not just this excitement, this kind of giddiness of the, the first couple months of dating somebody, if that's not what we're looking for, what does it look and feel like to have passion for Jesus? And second, how do we recognize our lack and rekindle that passion for God? All right, so that's what we're going to answer today. What does it look and feel like to have passion for Jesus, and how do we recognize and rekindle a lack of passion? And I'm going to try to do that, by working through today's text, which is Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And in the beginning of Revelation, the first few chapters, we have seven messages from Jesus to the churches of Western Asia. Ephesus happens to be the first one. And so I'm going to read this text, and then we'll go back and, and, and work through it together. Jesus says and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So Jesus begins, or John writing the the words of Jesus begins here. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And we are actually told what these stars and lampstands represent just a couple of verses earlier in chapter 1, verse 20. Jesus says, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right? Not too hard to work through the interpretive process there, okay? (laughs) The stars are Angels, uh, this word, the, the Greek word angelos, it is translated in the New Testament both as messengers and as angels, angels being divine messengers, okay? And so there's different interpretations. Is Jesus talking about an angel that stands before the, the throne of, of God? Maybe. Is he talking about the, the the messenger who's going to take this to the church of Ephesus? Maybe. But we know that the stars are these angels, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And and Jesus is the one who holds those stars, who holds those messengers. He is intimately connected to them. And not only is he holding on to those angels or messengers, but he is walking among the lampstands. He's walking among the churches. What does this mean? It means that these churches were dependent on the presence of Jesus. He was completely and fully and really in their midst. He was the the one that was causing them to be light in their communities. He was causing them to burn. and, And as we will see, this idea of the churches bearing light in the place of darkness is significant for us as we interpret this scripture. It's this reliance on Jesus, this connection with Jesus that are vital for the thriving of that church. It's this reliance on Jesus that is vital for us as members of a a local congregation to step into full, thriving lives. Jesus had the power, as we saw in verse 6, to either continue or to remove the lampstand, and so Jesus is talking. He is he is intimately uh, involved with these, these the, with this church, and he uh, gives them this commendation. He praises the the church for this. He says, "I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance." Jesus says, I know you. I walk among you. And there may be some of us that are that are here today that feel like, man, I feel so dry. I feel so far away. I feel so distant from God. Right? Things are so crazy. I'm thinking about just walking away from this whole thing and just giving up. But what I want to communicate, what we can learn from this is Jesus is right there. Yep. Maybe you can't see him. Maybe you can't. Feel him, but he is right next to you. He wants to see you step into full and abundant life. He wants to bring you into a place of freedom and joy and peace. And his word promises that if we draw close to him, he will draw close to us. He is close by, he is available. He knows your deeds, he knows your hard work, he knows your perseverance. So Jesus says these encouraging words to the church of of Ephesus. He's proud of them. They are doing well in in these things. He recognizes their, their efforts and their persistence. I think in part this could be because Ephesus in the first century, not an easy place to be a Christ follower. Some people say that Ephesus at this time was maybe 200 to 250,000 people. And the the church would have been the smallest fraction of people in that church, in that city. Just this little group of people trying to to follow after Jesus. This little church that that Paul had uh, come and proclaimed the gospel and had started and spent some time in. And he goes on, and he says, go for it, guys, you've got this. And in Ephesus, we know uh, that there was this massive temple to the goddess Artemis. This temple is actually known as one of the seven wonders of, of the world. And so there would have been an expectation and even a pressure for these Christ followers to, to bow down and to, to recognize, to honor Artemis. Like, look how amazing she is. People come from far and wide across the known world to come to worship at this beautiful temple. You guys are just worshiping in a courtyard. What's wrong with you guys? Not only that, but scattered throughout Ephesus were uh, temples to the emperor. So this is Roman-occupied territory. Uh, The the cult of Rome, the cult of the emperor, was uh, rampant during this time. And they would have not just been encouraged, but called to bend your knee to the emperor, to worship at the temple of the emperor. And so when the Christians would make this declaration, Jesus is Lord, this wasn't just like a a worship song. This was a political declaration. Uh, 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 Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And we're only bending our knee to Jesus. And so we see in the midst of this challenging culture that the Ephesians worked hard to avoid them. He, Jesus says, I know you can't tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You've found them false. If we look back in the book of, of Acts, chapter 20, verse 29, Paul is getting ready to, to leave Ephesus, and he says this. I think this is significant. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. As Jesus sends this letter, as as John writes this uh, revelation from the island of, of Patmos, it seems like they're doing a good job. Leon Morris, I don't know if I have this quote in here. Yeah, I do. Uh, no, uh, no relation. Uh, he's, uh, he uh, is a scholar. He wrote a commentary on Revelation. And he says this about this passage. He says, clearly, the Ephesians did not take their faith lightly. They quite understood that it made demands on them, and they worked hard at being Christians, right? Good job, guys. And what we can take from this is that, guess it, sometimes it's hard to be Christians here too. We feel this pressure to bend our knee to idols. We feel the, the pull of distraction and, and comfort that keeps us from loving God or loving our neighbor, or loving our enemies. I think you guys are here. You guys are tuned in to to, to worship, to, to listen to the proclamation of, of the word, the proclamation of the, the gospel. And, and I think that, that God would say, good job. I see you. Well done. But Jesus has always been concerned For more than just our actions. He's always concerned about more than just what we look like on the outside. Jesus cares about our motivations. Jesus cares deeply about what's going on in our hearts. And as I read this letter to the Ephesians, I can't help but think about Jesus' woe to the scribes and Pharisees that we see in uh, the Gospel of, of Matthew. Chapter 23, verse 27. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus knew what was on the inside of the scribes and the Pharisees. You guys look good on the outside, but I know there's some messed up stuff inside. Jesus knew what was in the heart of the the church in in Ephesus. He knows what's in our heart too. And we should be uh, humble and recognize that Jeremiah was not making a joke when he said the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We have to recognize that we could be deceived. That we could fall prey to the same thing that is happening in the church in Ephesus. We can fall prey to the very same thing that Jesus was calling out in the the scribes and the Pharisees. Because he says after Jesus praises them for their hard work and their perseverance, he says this, he says, but I hold this against you. Guys, we don't want Jesus to hold things against us. In general, that's bad. You have forsaken the love you had at first.
1: You've forsaken it.
0: And forsaken here is a significant word. Uh, John didn't just kind of arbitrarily pick this. This is elsewhere translated as to give up, to abandon, to forsake, right? This is a rejection of the love you had at first. This was not, oh, you forgot, let me remind you. This was not you kind of drifted away, let's, let's drift back. This is you have forsaken the love you had at first. In The Last Jedi, Luke Skywalker is on an <laughs> island. He's on an island all by himself with uh, some porgs. And um, the, the, the movie right before that, whatever it was called. Oh, my goodness. Thank you very much. The Force Awakens. Thank you, Kurt. So The, the, the Force Awakens, right? It ends with, with Rey handing the, the lightsaber To Luke, and we're ready. As Star Wars fans, you're ready, because Luke is the pinnacle. We know Luke. We read the books. We know he is the Jedi of all Jedi's, and he is gonna be the hero of this movie. Right? And so the last Jedi starts, and we're like, oh, we can't wait to see what he does. And what does he do? He takes that lightsaber, throws it over his shoulder to go tumbling down the, the stones into the ocean. Luke had not drifted from the teachings of the Jedi. He had forsaken them, and Star Wars fans were not having it. <laughs> you know, what? we don't have time to go into that. But you know, he had forsaken the teachings of the Jedi. He hadn't drifted. He hadn't been like, ah, oh, maybe there's something else we could do. He's like, I don't want any part of that. He cut himself off from the Force. And this is what the Ephesians had done. They had forsaken the love they had at first. Jesus comes to them and says, there's something missing. You have run away from the very core of what I've called you to do and to be. And there's some debate as to what uh, John, who's writing this, meant when he said the love you had at first. Some folks say, is he talking about the love for Christ? Is he talking about love for one another in the church? Is he talking about love for all of humanity? Is he talking about all three? What's going on here? Well, we know uh, that um, love for God and, and love for people are inextricably linked. Right? They're two sides of the same coin. If you say you love God, but, but don't love people, you're lying. You don't love God. And so there is this idea that they have walked away, they have forsaken love for God and love for people. We know that the, Jesus said the greatest command right is to love God and to love people. This is the core of it. This is what's most important. All the, the law and, and the prophets, they... they are fulfilled in in this teaching. Somehow, in the midst of their hard work, in the midst of their perseverance, in the midst of their worship and their devotion to God, in their intolerance and in their testing of wicked people, they had lost the heart of God. And too often this passage, the, the, this text is seen as just a, a story of the, the dangers of having too rigid of an orthodoxy or the, this rigid emphasis on, on right belief as if rigorous study is going to inevitably lead you to a lack of love for God or a lack of love for others. And trust me, I, I heard that a couple of times as I went into seminary, people were like, hey, we're afraid you're going to lose your passion. I right? don't want to spend too much time studying. That's crazy. No offense.
1: <laughs>
0: we need to believe right. Like right doctrine is important. The church fought for this. Right? We read the Nicene Creed Uh, during communion, the first of every month, right? Christians died. Christians worked to figure out how do we rightly understand this faith that we hold to, right? And so right belief is important, but right living is equally important, right? We can't abandon either one, And what we see here in the church, in in Ephesus, is that uh, somehow or another they had abandoned love for God while holding on to their hard work, while holding on to their perseverance. And so what could this have looked like? What could could have been going on in the the church, in in Ephesus, that, that Jesus is talking about? You know, and, and if we look at other places in Scripture, we can kind of maybe pull some threads together. Or maybe in their gathering, in, uh, in their practice of communion, they, the, the rich folks could have been taking advantage of the poor by coming to service early, eating all the best food, drinking all the best wine, and letting the, the poor people just kind of come and, and eat what was left over. That's a possibility. That actually happened in Corinth. And Paul says, hey, you guys, in your practice of communion, right? A very important uh, sacrament in the church. In your practice of communion, you've missed the gospel. Well, that's scary. Or maybe they were so focused on on looking good, like looking like good Christians to the other Christians that they forgot to show love and grace for outsiders. That actually happens. Maybe in their hard work, and we, we see this in the text, their hard work of trying to watch out for these savage wolves with their, you know, their, uh, the, the false apostles and the false teaching and the false prophets that they're so focused on shutting these, these people down that they had lost their first love to love people, to love God. They're so focused on these other things. And so while this letter wasn't written to us, it was written for us, so what, what could this mean for us? It could be these very same things. Rich people using their privilege for their own benefit and not helping the poor. Right? Cameron shared that great verse this, this morning about, you know, if we give to the poor, we lend to the Lord. Right? That is what we are called to do as Christ followers. Maybe people are so busy trying to move the kingdom of God forward that we somehow feel like it's okay to uh, disregard the Christian values of love and mercy and kindness. We'll do whatever it takes to get our party into a position of power. And this could go either way. (laughs) But uh, friends, we cannot use the tools of Satan. Amen. We cannot use hate. We cannot use violence. We cannot use the pursuit of worldly power. We cannot use the pursuit of influence in order to bring about the kingdom of God. Amen. It's through using the weapons that he has given us that we bring about the kingdom. Yes. Self-sacrifice. Yes. Humility. Love, peace, enemy love, forgiveness. The call for the church in Ephesus wasn't a call to come back to this emotional, spiritual experience. It wasn't about getting back to the giddiness of those first days of walking with Jesus. The call to come back to the first love was about rekindling an active love for God shown in love for people. Returning to your first love is about rekindling an active love for God Shown in love for people. And I think we get a glimpse of this. I'm running out of time. Oh, we get a glimpse of this in chapter two, or in verse two and verse six. Uh, Jesus says in verse two, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. And then in verse six, Jesus says, but you have in this favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so the Nicolaitans were this group of false teachers, uh, but there's a difference between God's response to them and the Ephesians' response to them. The Ephesians couldn't tolerate the people, and Jesus hated their practices. So how do we love people that we disagree with significantly? I don't know. (laughs) so it's hard right it it just is hard you know i think of how uh you know let's just use for an example as a as a as a as a community a new day community church we we believe in uh the uh that marriage is between a man and a woman Right. We, we believe um, that there are two genders. Uh, right? uh, we believe that there's, an appropriate, uh, there's appropriate sexuality and there's inappropriate sexuality. Okay? Uh, so we recognize that there is a, a community. There's the LGBTQ plus community. Right? And we need to love them, but we disagree with them. And it gets a little bit messy. And I don't know exactly how to, to navigate this. But guess what the answer isn't? Shunning them rejecting them, saying that, hey, go fix yourself and then come back. Right? That's not what the church is. And so I don't know how to do it, but somehow we need to approach this, this community and show them love and show them the, the kindness of Jesus and pray, God, would you help me to walk out holding this historic orthodoxy and holding on to love for people that are living in a way that is, I don't understand. It's tough. There might even be an example in here that relates to politics. <laughs> Maybe. But we don't have time. Shoot. So where are, we, where are we doing this? Right. Where or who do we hate that God loves? Amen. Right. Who do we hate but we have convinced ourselves that it is in, out of a righteousness or godliness that we hate those people? Oh, thank you. Before before I, before I came up, Richard came and said, "Mark, don't be nervous." And I was like, "That's a weird thing to say." So <laughs> So, it's good. So Jesus continues, "Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, you will come I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place." So Jesus calls the Ephesian church to remember where they've come from, to repent, to do the things. All right, remember, you're called to a better kingdom. You're to be ambassadors of that kingdom. You're to be salt and light in your community. You're to reveal God by being his representatives on the earth. God isn't bitter or religious or angry or quick to shut people out. He's slow to anger. He is loving. He is approachable. This isn't to deny his justice, but we see this father, Jesus, uh, gives us a picture of him in the parable of the, the prodigal son. It says, remember what you're supposed to be doing and repent, turn around, start doing it again. Forgive people, believe the best in people, love friends and neighbors and enemies well. Seek first the kingdom. And as I said at the beginning, returning to our first love is not just returning to an emotional high. It's not just some great spiritual experience. Though I've had those and I love them. They're great. It's not what we're running after as Christ followers. We'll end with this. He says, if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. If the church does not repent, if we do not step up to love God by loving people, Jesus will remove the lampstand. He removes the church. Because a church without love is not the church. And the light given to the city will be snuffed out. Not by evil people that are opposing the church, but by Jesus. And we don't want that. So what does it look like? Sorry, I'm going long. What does it look like and feel like to have passion for Jesus? We see it in Matthew 25. Feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. Welcome the foreigner. Visit the prisoner. Clothe the naked. What does it look like and feel like to have passion for Jesus? It means to take up your cross. To lay your life down for people. And sometimes, friends... Taking up your cross doesn't feel good. Everybody that read that would have known, oh, that's bad. We don't want to do that because it hurts. But that is what Jesus did, and that is what he's calling us to do, to lay down our life for others. And this can look a ton of ways, right? Uh, In a couple weeks, uh, some of us from New Day are going to go and serve for a weekend at Bear Lake Bible Camp. Right? Not because it's like, oh, what a great, what's the, what I want to do more than anything is spend my weekend serving food and cooking dinner for people. Right? It's going to be fun, but like, there's an act of service, of cost, that goes into that. Right? Maybe it's volunteering on Sunday. And that's especially true if you volunteer for children's ministry or nursery. Right? <laughs> Pastor Cameron has often said, like, if you want to encounter Jesus, go into the children's ministry room because that's where he's hanging out. Maybe it means volunteering at the gospel mission, taking meals to sick. I have been so encouraged. There's a young family in Vandalia. Uh, that uh, the, the, uh, the, the mom is, is sick. Uh, she's going through, through chemo. And seeing the community rally around her to, to support her and the family and to take care of her is beautiful. It's the Jesus thing. Maybe it means listening to enemies in order to understand, not just to respond and defend and to kind of uh, defend ourselves. Just to win an argument. Maybe uh, loving, uh, taking up our cross means wearing a mask. Maybe taking up the the cross, maybe laying our life down for people means to call or to visit somebody who can't get out right now. There's a lot of ways to do this. So, That's my answer for number one. How do we recognize a lack of passion for God? You're not doing the things I just said. Okay? So, simple. And how do we rekindle? Repent. Repentance is the key to thriving, my friends. Spend time with Jesus. This is vital. We need to cultivate healthy, disciplined, spiritual lives. But love for God must spill into love for people. So take up your cross. Love people. Don't wait until you feel something, right? Feelings are great servants, but terrible masters. If you're just like, well, I'm not going to serve until I really want to. Well, guess what? Jesus was facing the cross and he said, God, I don't want to do this. But that's what taking up your cross means. And then do the gospel things. Draw near to Jesus and he will draw near to you. If you want to find Jesus, he's hanging out with the poor, with the hungry, and the refugee. Amen. Invite Bill to
1: close. Thank you, Pastor Mark. That was a very good and challenging message. Would you stand with me as we get ready to wrap up for today? We need to uh, pray and chew on what we just heard a little bit and uh, figure out what we're going to do with that, don't we? I was challenged by it. I bet you were, too, if you were listening, (laughs) which is all of you. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, your love that comes to us through truth, God, that would say a warning rather than get to the end of our life and have bad news that we missed the way. You love us enough to warn us, to give us opportunity to repent if we have lost our love for you and for others. Um, And God, I just recognize, I repent and recognize that, um, you know, chunks of my life, times of my life line up better with a Pharisee than um, a tax collector or a prostitute, you know, which as we read the Gospels, Jesus, you loved the the people that uh, loved you back, that um, didn't have all the rules worked out, that didn't have this polished, perfect life. And the polished ones were the ones you called the whitewashed tombs. God, we're sorry, I'm sorry for when I've been like a whitewashed tomb, having it all together on the outside, but not loving people on the inside. Lord, would you help us to build a life that does it right, build a life that looks like yours, Jesus, that we get to read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the books of the Bible that document your life. Jesus, we see that you let little children come to you, not the most important people in a town, tax collectors, the sinners, the poor, the sick, the hungry. So God, help us to build a life that makes room for those people, that honors those people. Not the rich and the powerful, not the uh, influential, not our own selfish interest or career or education or whatever it is we're chasing after, God. Comfort. Help us to do what Mark challenged us to do, to take up our cross this day, this week, and follow you, Jesus. Yeah. This was just a theme, church, this last Wednesday at our prayer meeting of, of um, just repenting of our sin, recognizing, Kathy talked about it last week, recognizing our own sins, how great they are and how much we've been forgiven and how that kindles love in us. So just take a minute now as we're praying to remember how much he has forgiven you your sins and let the love just spring up in your heart for Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, we, we love you. We are so thankful for your forgiveness for our shortcomings, that you don't hold it against us. You give us a second chance. God, we love you. We want to give that same love to others and give others a second chance every day. Amen. We're going to wrap it up, but I I pray that you do take that uh, message with you this week. Put it into practice. Come on Wednesday to join us for prayer, to go deeper into the 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we'll see you next week. Have a great week, church. I love you.